0: Life Happens, weekdays, 1 to 3 p.m.
1: It is uh, 12 minutes past one on uh, SAFM. Welcome to Life Happens. I'm Khomutso K. Jim Wiggett. It's Monday, the 19th of July. We are SAFM leading the conversation. Our uh, studio numbers, whenever you want to join in on that conversation, 11 uh, 714 You can SMS us on the number 41391 if that's what you prefer. That SMS, though, will cost you around 50. We're also on WhatsApp on the number zero six one four one zero four one zero seven. We are on F. 104 to 107 nationwide. Alternatively, we're on the DSTV audio bouquet channel 814. We're also on Twitter as s at, sorry, at SAFM Radio. I'm also there. I'm at KG Mweketzi. and uh, whenever you converse with us about what we're conversing about on the show, please hashtag Live Happens. So coming up on the show, uh, if uh, you were there in 1994 uh, following those uh, uh, elections, uh, the first Democratic elections in South Africa, you'll remember that there was a phrase that was coined called the rainbow nation. In fact, Archbishop Desmond Tutu would even go as far as to call it the rainbow nation of God. We're looking at whether or not this rainbow nation still exists, especially in light of the inequalities that are glaring at us in the face in South Africa. And obviously those racial conflicts that formed part of those conflicts that happened in South Africa last week those racial conflicts, of course, taking place in Phoenix, in Guazulu-Natal. That's from now, uh, just at around quarter past one, and after two o'clock we'll get an update on the developments in Mozambique, in particular, Rwanda sending troops to Mozambique, even ahead of the SEDEC group sending troops as agreed by the SEDEC Troika. So we'll have a conversation about that. At half past two, we get a COVID-19 update from Professor Musa Mashabela. So let's get straight into it as we look at the perspective revisiting our Rainbow Nation. Is it a myth? Is it dead? Has it failed? According to Pel Mube, the Rainbow Nation is dead and according to Professor Mushankondo, the Rainbow Nation is a beacon of failure and according to independent political analyst Asanda Nwashing, uh, South Africa's Rainbow Nation is a myth uh, and it's a myth that particularly should be unlearned by students. They are my guests. And let's start with Asanda Washeng. In fact, I want to quote you. Uh, On uh, an article that you write, Asanda, where you say, uh, The Rainbow Nation is a myth that students need to unlearn. Apartheid capitalized on differences in race and culture and gender. When it was finally abolished in 1994, South Africa introduced a new ideology in the name of nation-building rainbowism. This emphasized common ground and sameness rather than a focus on difference and was meant to fight racism and discrimination here we are, Sandra. Welcome. We had the week that we had. So, according to you, even students need to unlearn this myth called the Rainbow Nation.
2: Hi. Thank you so much for having me.
1: So, you're saying even students should unlearn uh, the Rainbowism uh, that was around 1994. Yes,
2: I mean, I wrote the article a couple of years ago, and uh, at the time I was lecturing, and I found that in trying to lecture political reporting and trying to get students to understand the history, and in particular, understand the hierarchy of humanity, which places white people at the top, then uh, Indian people, then colored people, and then black people at the bottom, I found that a lot of my students had no idea about this hierarchy of humanity, and they had been sold the lie that we were all equal. And they actually had no understanding of the history and how that history continues to play itself out uh, in modern-day South Africa. And so for me, obviously, as somebody who, who watches these uh, this kind of issues, it was very interesting for me to see that this issue is raising itself yet again with, first of all, White people not allowing black people through in areas that they decided were only for, you know, for white people. And and, uh, allegations of Indian people killing black people in areas near Phoenix. It was just a reminder that, you know, the hierarchy of humanity continues to play itself out. And that the social cohesion that we like to pretend exists doesn't exist. And for me, what was really interesting to see again is that we're seeing people coming out, you know, as usual, white liberals are coming coming out and saying that the situation is not as bad as we think it is, and that it's a minority of people who are racist. But if you were black, and you were in KZN this past weekend, and you were trying to get food in a suburb, or you were trying to simply get out of your house. It was impossible, and you were all just reminded that black people are seen as nothing but criminals and looters.
1: Yeah. Uh, Let's bring you in, uh, Professor Mushankonde. Uh, You know, you say it's a beacon of failure. You refer to this Rainbow Nation ideology as a beacon of failure. Why?
0: Yes, I'll tell you why. Let me qualify that statement now. Uh, uh, i think i must qualify it uh, severely the rainbow nation is an aspiration it is an ambition and we agreed in Kempton park that if we want to if you want to bring about democracy if you want to bring about a rainbow nation we should use law. Law is the most appropriate instrument to bring about fundamental change in our society. That was agreement. We agreed also to retain the territorial borders that we found here, which we call the state. We agreed also that uh, the fundamental principle of our democracy would be the sovereignty of the people, which will be integral to the sovereignty of the state. We agreed. So law is the main instrument. So it's very, very important, particularly now when we are dealing with the problems that are facing President Zuma, to understand the legal processes, the values and the principles that underline our democracy it is very very important for instance in 2009 justice albisex wrote a very important book called the strange alchemy of uh, of life and law which shows that is very important for the people of this country to comprehend the norms and the principles and the processes involved when the constitutional court makes judgment. That's very very important. The problem just now is that I I wonder how many people in this country understand the legal judgments that they've come down from the from the court. I wonder how many of us understand the, the legal processes that have gone into this so it is going forward is very important for us to make sure that most of the people who are affected by these decisions who have died in it wake comprehend the, the logic of conscious of, of constitutional court judgments make sure that they understand the logic in their own languages
1: yeah. Uh, but let's, let's bring in uh, Pearl Mube, uh, who also says the Rainbow Nation is dead. But, Pearl, I, I want to take you on, on what uh, the prof just said, because essentially what the prof is saying is even the very constitutional democracy, uh, you know, on whose principles we live by, uh, is not even understood by its its citizens. And actually, uh, you know, the, the Rainbow Nation was an aspiration and an ambition, and clearly an ambition uh that if you look at the social economic conditions uh that we allow what that we that we you know we saw on our television screens uh come to the fore last week it means you know these aspirations and these ambitions of this rainbow nations don't allow uh for people to even see any rainbow anywhere
3: of course of course before i answer i just want to greet you. Thank you so much for having me as a guest and greet the listeners at home as well. I fully agree with that sentiment of the rumination being nothing more than an aspiration. Um, What I also mentioned in my article, Homo is the fact that political freedom may have been delivered, but that was not delivered hand in hand with economic freedom as well. And, you know, I had the benefit of writing the article as a born free, as someone who grew up in a society that did its best to, um, guess, um, I guess, sort of disregard the existence of all these uh, racial factors and yes. how they culminate, yes, yes. In, in the economic environment. Um, so definitely fully. And I view the concept of the, the Rainbow Nation as being nothing short of a patriotic uh, bandage where anyone who would come to question it could come to question its existence is then seen as someone who you know uh, questions the 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 strength of South Africa itself as a whole um, we are not equal we are not and equal we are not equal and attempts at making it seem as though we are are so damaging for our country so damaging for our country so I definitely um align myself with that view that it is nothing uh, short of an aspiration i think true equality would come with looking at the states of inequality in our country and making um, firm actions towards addressing those looking at the states of um, unemployment and making firm efforts at addressing those yeah and when the, the 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 state of um, when access rather is still um defined along the lines of um you know your racial identity as we see today that that's that's the that's the reality yeah then we cannot say that we exist in a rimbo nation, we cannot say that we are equal, and I just wanted to bring to the fore a view that I think encapsulates um, my, uh, my views on the matter. And it came about during the Feaseless Fall movement. Um, and it's the fact that perhaps it's called a rainbow nation because they exist, the colors exist within the same environment, but they never quite touch. They're never quite truly integrated. So definitely, uh, nothing more than an aspiration at this
1: point. And and we have this conversation, uh, the three of you, as uh, we're hearing narratives on our television screens from people who are our leaders, who are saying we have the potential to rebuild, almost uh, selling the notion that uh, very soon it will be business as usual. And a lot of people are also saying it can never be business as usual because the inequalities uh, that define what happened last week remain and they stay. So how do you define it going forward, Asanda? Where do you think government needs to go? Where do you think the outlook should be from a racial perspective? Uh, And, you know, how do we then redefine the socioeconomic conditions of most South Africans? I mean, I
2: think I think that uh you know what happened last week is something that has happened in many African countries which is how politicians take the prevailing socio-economic challenges and then they use them for their own nefarious means. So you know Mugabe did this where he started land invasions because people didn't have land because him and his comrades had failed to deliver land to the black people of Zimbabwe and we all know what happened. Mm. And so last week what happened is that Jacob Zuma and his comrades then followed the path of Mugabe and basically used the fact that there's inequality, the fact that there's hunger and the fact that the very ANC that he led both as deputy president and as president have done very little to shift or change that So that we don't have young people who are unemployed and unemployable and have been like that for so long that any and all politicians or groups can come and use them to, you know, meet their own ends or their own uh, desires. And I think that what the government needs to start doing is stop telling lies like we can be a rainbow nation again, pretend to be an equal country, or pretend like there's a meritocracy in which the life of a black person and the life of an Indian person, a white person, or any other person is the same. That's It's not the truth. If we had forgotten it last week, was just a reminder. I think that we really need to start doing the deep work of unpacking where does this conflict lie and how do we begin to shift it? And one of the things that I've done in my work in diversity training is I built a curriculum that is being taught to young people in order to help them understand who they are, in order to be able to understand better who others are. And in that way, we highlight that there is diversity and difference and that we must embrace and celebrate them and while we look for commonalities and we celebrate commonalities we cannot hide from or sweep under the carpet the things that make us different and the things that even make us have ideological conflicts and so for as long as we want to pretend and lie we are going to keep coming back to this point if you look at what happened in 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 kzn in last phoenix week, yeah you know you have 1949 You have 1985, you have, I could rattle off the whole more dates where exactly the same thing happened. It started off with looting and then it became a race war. Literally, it's like reading from a script. So my question is, until when are politicians not uh, going to stop pretending like they're not aware that this is how things go, particularly in KZN? And I think one of the biggest problems we have is that we kept our provinces... Based around linguistics groups, based around the former homeland, whereas we had the opportunity with provinces to undo apartheid spatial planning, yeah. so that the Eastern Cape is Could not for know. Kossas, so that okay. the Cape Town is not for Colours, and Durban KZN is not for you know for Zulus and Indians etc etc, and that South Africa becomes truly a multiracial multinational country that it has the potential and the power to be. And so I'm not opposed to ideas of multiculturalism Mm. and I'm not opposed to ideas of diversity, but what I'm opposed to is pretending like we have reached that utopia and pretending like there's a point at which we are all equal when we all know Mm. that the reality on the ground is that there is huge inequality and that the majority of people who are poor happen to be black, which is also not just a thing that happened. It's because we come from a history of apartheid Mm. and which was preceded by a history of colonialism. Mm. And for as long as as we denial about that history, then we run the risk of
1: You just hold on a second, Professor Ngondo. let's let Asanda finish her trail of thought and I'll let you comment, yeah? Go on Asanda. I'm I'm done. No, I'm done. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Okay. She's done. She's done, Professor you can come in?
0: Yeah, thanks, thanks. I just thought you have a of time, right? You know what? I think I want to, 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 to reframe the questions differently. I see, you know, it's not tribalism or prejudice. It's a deeper problem. Mm. It's a deeper problem in terms of, I call it a civilizational crisis, which means that, you know, uh, uh, the way we were brought up, particularly under apartheid, where we were brought up to regard difference particularly racial linguistic or cultural difference as fundamentally oppositional Mm -hmm. to be indian and to be african to be jewish to be africana to be female or male that is a fundamental and antagonistic difference Mm -hmm. that to me is very deep and pervasive in this country. It is there as well in the world.
4: Yes. But it's
0: much more, per, per, you know, very severe here. What I think we should be doing at all levels, going back to how we parent, how we rebel kids, is to make people appreciate that the difference between Indians and Africans is not antagonistic. It is complimentary
1: Okay, let me pause let me, wait, Prof, let the, 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 me, I have to go to news though, Prof. Uh, so I absolutely have to pause you. Uh, you can finish your thought uh, when we come back from the news headlines. We're having a conversation about whether or not uh, the Rainbow Nation uh, is dead, uh, as some of uh, my guests are saying with Asanda Washeng, who's an independent political analyst, and uh, Professor Mushen Kondo, who's, uh, you know, who wrote an article which we're referencing as part of this uh, conversation Conversation and uh, also uh, Pel Mube also wrote an article, and she uh, is not even boggled by the issues of uh, pre ninety four because you know uh, she is new age in her outlook. It's one thirty one. It is time for the news headlines.
3: Here, there, and everywhere. SAFM 105
2: FM in Mokobane.
1: Welcome back. It's one thirty-two. Uh, thank you. It was N Musa. Uh, I wasn't sure who was reading the news there. We are in the perspective uh, Monday's perspective, and we're revisiting uh, the idea of the Rainbow Nation. Is it a myth? Is it dead? Has it failed? And we were talking to Pel Mube uh, uh, and Professor Gondo and Asan Dangwanching. Professor Gondo, you were on. Uh, uh, you were you were elaborating on your thought process.
0: Yeah. Let's uh, just uh, summarise it. Uh, this way. Yesterday the president enjoined us to participate actively in sharing ideas about how to solve our problems. In his acceptance speech as president, he he underlined a fundamental principle tuma mina.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: You are as an individual, you are responsible to making sure that ideas are shared. What bothers me <clears throat> is that because of our policies and, 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 and our history, mm. most public decisions that are made that affect the lives of so many people are made by a few people, usually the political, the market, and the knowledge elite. Going forward, and I think that's what I picked up from him yesterday, Mm. we must make sure that there's sufficient political education at all levels of society. And to do that, we have to communicate with them in their own languages. To 70% of South Africa's English remains a foreign language. So it's important that we communicate all the complexities of the judiciary, of the law of politics, in the languages of the people, only then can we build a rainbow nation. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Pearl. Is language uh, the the issue, as uh, 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 Professor Ngondo is saying? Uh, you know, in 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 finding some sort of cohesion or a way to coexist, or in even uh, dealing with the issues that we face of uh, of grand inequality.
3: Um, I think. Quite simplistic, Uh, perhaps one of the vehicles that can be used, but um, the issue, um, as we understand it and as we have been discussing, is uh, quite larger, more deeply entrenched, I guess. Um, But I do agree that it's one of the factors, uh, one of the vehicles that can be used. There are, of course, so many. so many undertones yeah. that contribute to the larger to the larger issue, and that is widespread across society. Um, and how yeah, do we how
1: do we reimagine a, a South Africa that is different uh, to you know uh, what uh, I, I suppose the people who dreamt up the Rainbow Nation conceived?
3: I stand on this one point: <laughs> you cannot deliver political freedom. Political equality, I guess, that's still questionable, but I don't want to get into that debate without providing the means for economic freedom as well. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I have constantly reiterated is the fact that unless that deep, meaningful change takes place, then the gaps and the tensions that we see culminating within society will continue to grow.
1: So the change has to happen at an economic level first, and then we can work around everything else.
3: Definitely. It has to start there. It has to start there because we have not had any challenges with addressing equality uh, within other spaces. But it seems to be a challenge for equality within the economic space to be Mm -hmm. directly uh, challenged and, and changed and
1: affected. Yeah. Okay. I've got some calls. I'm going to allow uh, Anonymous and Brian in, and then uh, you all uh, can respond to what their thought processes are. Anonymous okay. and Wazul Natal, welcome. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Welcome. What's on your mind?
5: Okay. I just. Uh, my understanding is we actually missed this creation, the real creation of uh, Rainbow Nation.
1: We did what? Sorry, and- we missed that. We did what?
5: We missed the creation of the Rainbow Nation Mm
4: -hmm.
1: in
5: practice. Um, For the last 27 years, I will just use one law, which is housing, Mm -hmm. which is part of redress and building housing, housing, uh, RTP housing.
4: Mm -hmm.
5: Now, there is a company, a property developer, over the last 15, 20 years. They've developed a lot of uh, complexes. I think it's Galwin, what they call Galwin. But the space that they've used, it's a space in the midst of the suburbs, right? They've managed to find land there. But contrary to that, our government has never thought of building the RDP houses in spaces that are available within the older suburbs for social cohesion and social integration.
1: So you're saying reason, you're saying anonymous a a, a, a sub up um you know uh, as as we as currently is in South Africa should have uh, inculcated in it for example rdp houses for the purposes of inclusion and redress
5: That's exactly the point I'm trying to make here because what you've seen is rdp housing for black people have been put in the periphery which is still perpetuating the old a system of obviously will put them just on the periphery, on the side. Because how is it that that property developer I'm talking about has in the last 10, 15 years developed complexes which obviously bring in the economic issue into into the fall. Mm. But had we then said, because remember, now if that was possible, it would be easy now to understand how different cultures, how different places uh, live together. You understand? In the true sense, not... Uh, The complexes, because the complexes need to be able to uh, uh, afford a bond and be able to pay for that. You need to be able to be working and all of that.
1: Because the design of the apartheid apartheid government was that uh, 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 white people uh, live in uh, specifically designated areas that have economic activity and then black people go outside on the periphery, but within a a distance that is good enough for them to uh, move through and get out, move in for the purpose of work uh, and then move out because they're not meant to live there.
5: But what I'm saying is we've perpetuated that just yes. with regard to the RDP instead of promoting this rainbow nation. Because if they've had RDP in between, can you imagine now the looting has happened in townships? People are even saying, because why the people in the suburbs had guns and they were protecting their assets. Now imagine this, if the RDPs were inside the community, you've got these uh, uh, complexes I'm talking about, and Mshanga, you've got them, I mean, there by, by Mshanga, uh, what is it? You've got them everywhere, Brianstein, Of course. Yeah, I think
1: I think you've you made your point, Anonymous. Thank you. Let's go to Brian in Cape Town. Hello, Brian.
6: Hello, good day to you, KJ. Yes, hi. I just want to hi. I just want to mention, you know, the government and and the people in general, we entrench racism, By perpetuating racial identities, so calling people Kozak, Zulu, Indian. You know, um, when are we going to become South Africans? And then I just wanted to mention Rwanda. Over a million people uh, were massacred. The Hutus massacred over a million Tutsis in Nanda, in, Nanda in, um, in KwaZulu-Natal in 1985. So-called Indians were pitted against Kauza. Uh, for the benefit of um, Rajbanzi and uh, Butalezi, It is the breeding ground for hatred. We as South Africans, we must denounce and reject all forms of division, divisive tactics. This is the old colonial rule of calling people and dividing people it creates hatred it is a breeding ground for
7: hatred
1: can i ask you okay. something brian when you go fill up a form at uh at the bank when you're looking for yeah. a loan uh you, yeah. you you know even today the bank says to you are you white are you black are you exactly are you, what exactly. do you what do you say when you describe a human
6: being this, uh, they don't mountains. have that
1: they don't have that box though but I,
6: but, but i fill it in because Homo sapiens is only one race in this world on earth, and that is homo sapiens, the human race. Everything else has been created for the benefit of opportunistic leadership. Okay. This is why all these
1: people are... and People wear the frontier here. This is a breeding ground for hatred. So what do okay. we do, though, Brian, uh, quickly before you go? What do we do with yeah, the burden yeah. of history? What do we do with that? The burden of history must be changed, and it can only
6: be changed by people. Okay. The, 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 it is embedded in the capitalistic system, these social ends of racism, xenophobia, on and on and on. There's okay. no end to it. We have to destroy it.
1: Thank you, Brian. You've made your point. Okay. We go to Romeo in Bumalanga. Romeo, hi. Good afternoon, KG. Okay,
7: How are you this afternoon? I'm good, thank you. What's on your mind? I was following the professor as he was narrating uh, The Rainbow Nation, uh, mm-hmm. where he said, I think we inherited all the system." That we were brought up under the apartheid system in which you could find that the Vasutu live on their own area and the, the Zulus, the Kosas. And I thought maybe to brought, uh, what you could uh, bring, the Rainbow Nation, I think education was going to be the key. Like the other guy, we talked about the housing allocation, RDP, mm. and also this brine. If you look at the similarities of what they are saying,
4: mm. and
7: I think if education was uh, prioritized to bring all the association and to say children have to learn together in all languages rather than to say if they are in KwaZulu-Natal, they must learn only. Which is why we find it very much difficult for someone to, come, to go down there in KwaZulu-Natal to go and lead. Because you can't speak Zulu. Mm. At the end of the day, that kept on dividing the people. Mm. And I think we need to find a Zulu person in the northwest leading. He could speak a uh, Setswana. We could have someone from northwest to go to Eastern Cape and he could speak Xhosa, and that would bring all people together and become a rainbow nation in which people can speak all the languages. Mm. I think we start by doing that. We are going to create a rainbow nation that we
1: want. Okay. Thank you, Romeo. Uh, Let me uh, get the response. Let me start uh, uh, with uh, you, Asanda. What do you make of what our callers are saying? I mean,
2: uh, I think this is very typical what South Africans do. Mm. Let's, uh, you know, play around. Let's talk about, you know, the X instead of the Y. Mm. So talking about racism does not create racism. Mm. Racism creates racism. Mm -hmm. So it actually doesn't matter what people are called. Why do you think people are so scared in South
1: Africa to even talk about issues of race?
2: Because that's the history that we come from. Because Mm. in particular, white people signed a contract of silence that allowed them to look away as black bodies were being battered, mm. as violence was being visited upon black people. Mm. And so those are the people in particular who want us to continue to not talk about race mm. because it's an uncomfortable thing for them because it reminds them that there's a history of apartheid, that there's a history of colonialism that you haven't as yet Unpacked.
1: So and that's I why I that suppose Brian wants a, wants a box at the bank that says yes. human being. Yes. Yes, because, yes,
2: because when you are white or when you are of the other categories that were deemed higher than black, you actually had some semblance of humanity. Mm. And so you understand and can tick a box that says, you belong to humanity. Mm. Black people do not have their humanity. Mm. We want to be considered humans, but in terms of the law and in terms of reality in this country, we have not been afforded that privilege. And I think that's the problem that, people have identities and they have privilege, which allows them to be able to be identity identity less. Mm,
4: mm. They
2: don't understand, or in fact, they refuse to understand that, for example, as a black woman, it doesn't matter if I want to be another race or if I want to be male. Mm. For as long as I am black and I am female, for as long as that that is the case, when I step into the room, that's what people see. They don't see a smart person. You're at the bottom of the pack am. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And yet when a white man walks into the room, He's in he the can walking and people notice his smile.
4: Yeah.
1: And
2: people notice his warmth. And people notice so much more. Yeah. But as people who happen or continue to be racialized and marginalized and oppressed, we continue to be stuck in these boxes. And the reason why we embrace and we say, I am black and I'm a woman and my entire existence is wired into this identity. It's not because I necessarily want to be stuck in this identity but rather that every single experience I have has shaped the person that I am. The fact that I can't walk out at night as a woman in this country, that Mm. has shaped the way I live my life. The fact that as a black person, even as I live in a suburb, somebody is going to buzz my house, and tell me that they're looking for the white madam because they don't think I should be living in that house.
4: Absolutely. Those
2: are the things that will continue to have me and many others say I am black and I'm a woman because for as long as I deny that, I'm actually denying the experiences that are happening to me and I will not have the language to be able to unpack it. And so when you live a life where you don't have those experiences, you will be happy to say, let's all belong to the human race. Because you don't understand what it's like to have your humanity denied to you. Yeah. And you don't understand what it's like to live a life where just the simple color of your skin can determine whether you have access or not. Yeah. We saw this week, people could not access food because they were black. Yeah. And no other reason. Yeah. So we can't frame that and lie and say humans could not access food because other humans were
1: denying them food. Yeah. Yeah. We have to name the things what they are. Yeah, Pearl. Mm-hmm. Should we name the things what they are? Definitely, um, we
3: definitely need to name things as they are. Um, and I think my general response—I'm um, so saddened listening to to to, especially Brian's response. Yeah. And I just wanted to say that the the response to to inequality and you know the state of our country is not to be colorblind being able to do that or having that as an op- as, a, as an option rather or proposing that is a privilege in and of itself.
1: Why do you think um, that there's a particular sector in our society that demands for us to be colorblind, uh, that, that want issues around particularly race to be raised? Why is it that I, like Brian said, I should say mm-hmm. I'm a human being, not a black woman? You
3: know what? The one thing I will say is that privilege is blinding. Mm. Um, and when you um, look at the issue from a privileged uh, stance or a privileged position, you do not have, or you do not have um, the lived reality. You do not have the experience mm. of having your access to social circles, to economic so- circles, denied on the basis of your identity. Mm. It is then easy for you to turn a blind eye because it does not directly affect you. Um, and I think a problem that we have um, as a society I'm use it, that we have as a society with um, tackling privilege head on is that there is a general fear of taking, I guess, a sense of responsibility mm. over your own uh, contribution towards the wider circle. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely think that is a problem that priv- privilege rather is blinding, yeah. And we look at issues from a point of privilege because we do not have the experience
1: because we do not have the lived reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Prof, let me bring you in. Then uh, 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 it's very profound what uh, uh, Pearl is saying that uh, you know we have to uh, tackle privilege head on because in the end, according to her, privilege is blinding.
0: Yeah, I think before privilege, privilege is a function of other things. What is fundamental now, going forward? It has to radically restructure our educational system.
4: Mm.
0: Knowledge of yourself, Mm
4: -hmm.
0: knowledge of the next person, knowledge of difference is very critical, as I said. Mm -hmm. So far, our entire educational system, our entire knowledge system, Mm-hmm. Is grounded on Western power. Yeah, the norms we use are a function of power and of domination, and they advance Western interest. Locally, they advance the interest of the elite. Is very important. So, 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 the one way of really radically transforming, uh, you know, in, you know, our system. Mm. is to reconfigure the curriculum, reconfigure the pedagogy and make sure that when we teach students we don't teach them for opposition, yeah but we teach them for mutual recognition and so on to do that it's it's about high time that we involve the family as a policy instrument mm. so far the the family is called because it's something private. Yeah. You are not going to educate for feeling at school and in parliament hmm. unless that education begins in the family.
1: Yeah. Let's feelings take and et- Okay. Feelings? Feelings
0: and attitudes are, are inaugurated at family level. And okay. then by the time the school comes, their children's sensibility and imagination have already been constructed.
1: Okay, fantastic. Let's take some calls because uh, there's many people wanting to engage the three of you. Vusi Muzi in Gwazulu-Natal, good afternoon.
8: Thank you, my sister. Thank you, my sister. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I would like to contribute something in a few seconds. First and foremost, I would like and I pray for our South Africa, our rainbow nation, first to go back to God. Because now, you see, we are drifting away from God day by day. We are not right, recognizing God as the superior, as the one and the only who can help us.
1: So can I ask because a silly the, question then, Vusi? If we knew God, do you think we would have experienced what we experienced last week?
8: No, because now, you see, Some some few people, they treat themselves as a better nationality or better tribe. I'm coming from the Zulu nation. Mm. I don't like to undermine other nationalities. I'm not better than Sotho. I'm not better than Tosa. I'm not better than Venda. Each and every every leader who wants to contribute to our new South Africa or our new uh, rainbow nation, as a leader, I've got my shortcomings.
4: Mm-hmm.
8: My president saying that uh, Magdame, he's got his shortcomings. That mm-hmm. Mandela was having his shortcomings. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, human thing. You, na- you, you name them, you name them. But mm-hmm. to label our president as a vendor, I don't like it because there's is, there is other things that I would like about our president. But you do he's remember
1: when Sholosi was uh, president, uh, we there were those t-shirts that were doing the round, the ones that said 100% Zulu. Do you remember those ones?
8: The, the, the those things are, it does not help us. It does not help us. Mm. It does not contribute anything because mm. now there is no nationality or tribe that is better than the others. We mm. are all the same. We are created by one blood, one soul, one body. Yeah. And I, I like uh, to, to 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 say something about President Cyril Ramaphosa and you people. You don't uh, try to to to. To contribute, His he linguistic. He can But when Zulu. you say
1: "you people," who's "you people," Fusi?
8: All of us. Oh, okay. Uh, the media, even the media people. Okay. He, he speak. He speak. He, he tried to speak Zulu. Okay. He, st- he tried to speak Venda, Sotho. Even Africans, even English, okay. linguistic president. Okay. I, I like that because it unites us.
4: Okay. As I'm
8: saying, every leader has his shortcomings. Okay. You see,
1: okay. I pro- think you've made your ma- point, though. Uh, uh, thank you so much. Sabelo in the Eastern Cape. Hello, Sabelo. Yeah, hello. Yes, hi, welcome to SAFM. Yeah. How are you doing? I'm I'm well, thank you. And
5: Lamela, I in, now I just only have one point that I want to make. And uh, for me, it is like, you know what, we missed the opportunity in 1994 to have a, ring, a, a rainbow nation. Mm-hmm. You understand? Mm-hmm. My point is, for an example, if we have just, it, before we could say, no, now we have a rainbow nation, look, we were oppressed badly. People have died badly, we were oppressed. Yeah? <coughs> and then mm-hmm. after 1994, we were, we were feeling us this thing of white, of, of, of rainbow nation. And it never worked. So the, the thing that we, that we must have done in 1994, it is we should have done the same thing to the people who oppressed us so that they can feel the pain that we have felt. Mm-hmm. And then we can call it because we say, okay, now this is what we have been putting us through. So now let's work the straight after so that they know the pain that we are
1: feeling because no one no. they will never understand the pain that we are feeling. Okay. Okay. So I mean, I've got you. I've got your point. Thank you so much. I think uh, I want to round off with my guests. Uh, uh, the, the, there's a word that's uh, being bandied about uh, in the last couple of days called rebuild, right? Um, so if we were to use that word uh, with a focus on the future and wanting to learn from what we experienced um, uh, last week and having the benefit of hindsight in relation to this this notion of a rainbow nation let me start with Asanda to hear how we can rebuild how we can find a way to go forward and rebuild a society that is definitely different to the society that we saw last week
2: I think that the answer is in tackling first of all the beast of racism And naming things and calling things what they are instead of hiding or pretending they're not happening when they are. And then I think the second thing that we need to do is we need to deal with inequality in this country and the fact that it's along racial lines. Mm. And we also need to deal with not only inequality across races, but also inequality within the black nation Mm. and the ways in which it manifests itself and the ways in which we respond to it. Because if you think about it, the majority of the people whose goods were actually looted are black businesses. Mm. And we need to rethink how we as a black nation look at black business, Mm. how we understand black people who have used whatever means they have to be able to develop businesses and our relationship with them. And we need to rethink how... We engage. And once we have dealt with the beast of racism, the beast of inequality, and also have plans in place for problems like hunger and overall poverty, then we will be able to have social cohesion and peace. Because inequality, by the way, is one of the biggest flags globally for a society that will never find peace. That that's how that's how it, that's how societies that, that are you know on the brink of conflict are actually flagged
4: yeah, by yeah. the
2: existence of inequality. And so, for as long as South Africa continues to be unequal, and for as long as those inequalities are racially based, we are going to really struggle uh, to have an a lasting
1: peace. Yeah, Pearl, mm-hmm. Pearl, your thoughts as we round off and try to rebuild. Um, as my uh, fellow bonfries would say, drop the cap.
3: drop the cap stop lying let's all be honest about the state of the country yeah Um, and as Asana said let us um, name things as they are call
1: call a thing a thing
3: call a thing a thing the only way you are able to truly solve a problem is by having a true appreciation of what the problem is otherwise you know your actions are misdirected Uh, we can only have meaningful change in that way when we face the issues head on and when we develop firm progress programs rather, that are um, actioned or fashioned rather to address the real challenges. Thank you. So, yes, that's my contribution.
1: Thank you. And Prof, And time the time is running so fast away from me, but uh, I've got 30 seconds. How do we rebuild? Uh,
0: the rebuild, I think, is important for us to ensure equal access to quality education.
4: Equal so access?
0: To quality where people comprehend yeah. the complexities of the policies, particularly of the laws that govern us.
1: Fantastic. That's very Fantastic. Yes. Thank you so much to everybody. Asanda Washeng, independent political analyst, uh, Pel Mnube, writer and public policy researcher, and uh, Professor Musheng Kondo. Uh, uh, thank you, everybody. Thank you for your time. We were trying to unpack and understand whether or not, uh, you know, we can rebuild and find a way uh, for some sort of common ground following what we used to have in 94 called the Rainbow Nation, which we can all agree <laughs> left the building. It's too to 10 news.